Thanks for checking out the Oak Point West Bloomfield podcast. We're a community of people who keep it real and believe that the gospel is such good news because it really applies to our real lives. We're well aware that we all need Jesus, and so we don't shame each other, we help each other. And we hope we can encourage you along the way as we pursue Jesus together. All right, good morning. How's everybody? All right, all right. Hey, I'm Joe Seastat, lead pastor here. Welcome to Oak Point Church, West Bloomfield. If you are a first-time guest, welcome. We are so glad to have you here. We'd love to show you ways that you can get, get, get connected into this church after the service. If you go back to that welcome desk, they'll show you around. We are in a series in the book of Romans, and we're calling the series Forgiven. We're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through this dense book, you know, theologians for many years, hundreds of years, have said that if you understand the book of Romans, it's sort of a gateway to all of Scripture. And we've been battling these texts in our life groups. We've seen how God is sovereign in how he makes the first move, how he chooses those who will ultimately respond to him in faith. It's like this mystery that we saw in chapter 9 in the beginning of chapter 10. And then last week we got into how although God chooses us first, we are each responsible for our response to God. It's like two sides of a coin or, or two sides of a, of a road sign where you're heading toward it and it says God is sovereign to um, choose you. And then you turn around, look back, and it says that it's your choice to choose God. And so we have no excuses. We saw that back in chapter 1. There's no excuse at all that everybody has the ability, um, the awareness that's out there that, that Jesus is Lord, amen, God is sovereign, and that God has a plan for our lives. We are all responsible. Here's a claim I have for you today. God is redeeming his people. God's chief allegiance is to bring glory to himself. That's like number one. He wants us to exalt his name and bring him glory. God's chief mission is to redeem people, to bring people into a relationship with him that is secure, that you are assured of your salvation with him for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, and that you can have hope because of Jesus's resurrection. The problem, I think, is that we view God's redeeming work somehow like in isolation, as if we're the only person that ever existed. I'll give you an example. When I, um, when I was growing up, I'll start there. When I was growing up, um, actually, I want, to show this. I want to give this example. So when I first came to faith in Jesus Christ, for me it was like 13 years ago almost, when I accepted Jesus like with the snotty tears and all that stuff, and it was like so personal to me, I felt like I was the only person that existed. I felt like it was like me God and then like my family, but I didn't have this view of God, like of what he was doing for all the years before I accepted Jesus. And I didn't really understand kind of what was going on for the Bible and all the history that was going on. And I think that that's probably the story for a lot of us, is that when we come to faith, or maybe you're in this room today and you're not a Christian yet, and you're welcome here, I'm glad you're here, you know, you might not understand that there's been a lot going on with what God has been doing to redeem people for many centuries, thousands of years before that. I think we view our faith in isolation. I grew up here in West Bloomfield. I, I grew up going to West Bloomfield uh, High School just down the street. 
um, grew up in this community as a Roman Catholic uh, among a lot of Jewish people, uh, and I've spoken about this before. And there's a lot of curiosity that I had growing up in this community with my faith background. I didn't have much relationship with, with God at that time. I was kind of doing the things that a Roman Catholic person would do and uh, going through all the steps. But there was a lot of classmates that I had and people I played sports with and neighbors that were Jewish. And I remember like getting invited um, to go to temple services and celebrate like a bar and bat mitzvah, um, a bris, uh, I understood that like my teammates couldn't participate on certain days when we had games because of high holidays, and I was always curious about their faith. And um, that curiosity, when I became a believer, it, it, it started to, I, I was wondering, like, how does this all work out? And I had a pastor early on who showed me some things. He showed me that's not just about me in my faith journey, that I'm actually connected to something much bigger. And I started to realize that there's like a difference between like, uh, Jewish people of old, Jewish people of today, uh, Jewish Christians today, and then Gentile Christians. And, and my faith started to expand. My, my perspective started to get larger. I was like, oh my goodness, like this is way bigger than me. This is connected to something so much more. So here's my hope for you today is that you will have an expanded view of God's plans. We're going to go to Romans chapter 11, and we're going to look at a few different dependencies that come out of that chapter. And my greatest hope is that if you're a believer in here, that, that your perspective will just like go off the charts of like, oh, wow, how big God is and how big his promise is and how expansive it is. And it's going to be beyond just you. And if you, ever, if you haven't ever settled it with Jesus before... Perhaps the Holy Spirit, far beyond anything that I could say, is going to work in you today. Soften your heart. If that's happening for you today, I'll give an invitation for you to surrender to Jesus Christ. That's my hope for you today. So we're going to look at three dependencies. Here's the first one. Before Jesus came, natural branches were cultivated by God into his root of promise by faith. Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 1, starts like this. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an, am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. I'm going to stop right there. So the Apostle Paul, remember in this letter, this, this amazing letter that he wrote, he had never been to Rome yet, and we don't have any accounts of an apostle going to Rome yet either, and we don't think that they were really pastored all that well. So Paul writes everything that he would have said in person, he gives them this really dense letter to them, and his primary audience that he's speaking to up to this point has been Jewish Christians. That's like the primary audience. And so after all of this discussion about God's sovereignty and election, how the wrath of God is due for those um, because of their sins. And it's only by God's saving grace that we accept that free gift that we are able to have rightness with God. After all this theology, Paul then says, so has God then rejected his people, the Jewish people? That's a really good question. You know, a lot of people wonder that same question today. A lot of people wonder, like, what happened with the Jewish people? 
Where are they? If they were God's favored chosen people, where are they today? What about what they believe? They don't believe in Jesus. And they're wondering, like, how does that all fit with what we're reading here in Scripture? Has God rejected his people? Well, Paul answers an emphatic, no, he's not rejected his people. And he goes back to show, and and I love what Paul does here. He actually uses his own life as sort of like the proof point that God has not rejected his people. He says, look at me. I was once this zealous Pharisee. I was the one that was standing outside the door when Christians were getting murdered. And by the way, I came to faith in Jesus Christ. He reminds them that he's of the tribe of Benjamin, that he is part of the covenant from Abraham. And he goes right back to the Abrahamic covenant. I want to talk about that for a second. We talk about that often in this book. We need to realize with the Abrahamic covenant is that God is a promise keeper. The Abrahamic covenant is called an unconditional covenant. What that means is that it's 100% contingent on God and 0% contingent on people. God is faithful to his covenant, to his people. What he promised Abraham is that he was going to make his name great, make him a great nation, uh, give many offspring and land. And that's a promise that God will keep. It is lasting. It is, and think of that promise kind of as like the root of a tree. That root is existing and it lasts. And, and the thing is, is that God, um, when he made that covenant with Abraham, God ratified that covenant with blood. In fact, God had Abraham cut up an animal into pieces and spread the pieces out. Sorry, it's gory. This is the Old Testament. Like, this is how things happened before Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. He spread the pieces out, and then, and then it says that a flaming torch, which is God's presence, passed between the pieces. And here's what that meant. This is what God was saying through that act. God was ratifying and putting his name on it, saying, If I, God, am unfaithful to keep my end of the Abrahamic covenant, I should be like these parts that are cut off. But it goes one step further. He said, but if if you're unfaithful to keep your end of the covenant, I will have myself separated too. And so when we look at the cross, we realize that Jesus was cut off, that he became the curse. He was cut off because of our and the people of God's uh, unfaithfulness, because we're all sinners. Jesus went to the cross. He was cut off. And so Paul is using this to remind the people, like, look at my life. Look at me. I am a true Israelite. Remember, we we saw back um, a few weeks ago, uh, it says that not all who are Uh, descended from Israel, belong to Israel because they're not of the promise. In other words, not every Jewish person is a true Jew. It's all based on the promise. But the promise is alive in the natural branches, uh, which is those who who are cultivated by God, faithful to the promise of God. Those are in this natural, true root. Now look, Back before Jesus came on the scene, it was always still by faith. The people of old, before Jesus, they were were faithful to God. And one of those acts of their faithfulness was always looking ahead to the Messiah who would come. 
So it's faith in Messiah, and those true Jewish people are the cultivated natural branches. We're going to be talking a lot today about um, the natural branches, and then we're going to be talking about wild olive shoots. I want you to think about it like uh, this image that we're going to see throughout the rest of this chapter. It's an olive tree. And I want you to think about two parts of the olive tree. There's the root, and that has something to do with God and God's promise. And then there's the branches, and that has something to do with us. Before Jesus came, these natural branches, they were cultivated by God into his root of promise by faith. That's the first dependency. Here's the second one. And this is the one that applies to most of us in this room. Now that Jesus came... Wild olive shoots are grafted in by God into his root of promise by faith. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 11 where it says this. So I ask then, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, check it out. Verse 13, it switches who Paul is specifically speaking to here. Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles. All right, so listen up. If you're you're not uh, of a Jewish background in this room, and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is you. This is Paul speaking right at you. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order to somehow make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as firstfruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, it says, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. So this is talking now about the process of grafting. And and to be honest with you, I didn't realize that this was actually a real thing that occurs. And there's a picture up here. It's a picture of a wild olive shoot or a wild shoot being grafted into a natural branch. It's the idea that um, uh, this is speaking to how Gentiles come in and get grafted in to the natural branch, which are the Jewish people who have faith in God. Now, I did a little more research, and I pulled this from a website called The Ancient Bridge, and it says this. Grafting takes a branch of an uncultivated or wild tree that has some unfavorable qualities, cuts it off, 
from the tree that is currently part of, strips it of its leaves, as you can see in the picture, and then cuts the host tree in order to incorporate the mutilated branch. It isn't a pleasant thing. The grafted branch has to change and the host has to support the branch. But here are some important facts about grafting. The host never changes. The cultivated tree stays exactly the same other than being cut to accept the graft. It is the graft that changes, but the graft will never ever make the newcomer exactly like the natural branches. The fruit won't ever look or taste exactly the same as the fruit the host tree originally produced, but it will change. Wild fruit is generally not as abundant as cultivated or as large. Grafting changes that, and within a few years, the grafted branch will produce fruit that is far superior in quantity to what was once produced and attached to the natural wild stock. That's from a little research. Pretty cool, right? I mean, it's this reality that you as a Gentile Christian, don't be arrogant. Like, you're just that little mutilated shoot, that branch that got grafted in, and um, there had to be room for you to get in there in the first place. It's talking about how the, the Jewish people who did not have faith, did not have saving faith, not true Jews, their branches were cut off to make a little room for you. And then those Gentile Christians who had saving faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, you came from a wild source and you were brought in like this. And at first, your fruit didn't grow. But after a while, and it looked different, it wasn't all exactly looking the same. It was unique to your uh, way of coming in. Fruit grew, and that fruit grew abundantly. So our application here, if you are a believer at all, is don't become proud, but fear, it says in verse 20. That word fear is more like reverence. Like, never think that this whole thing's about you. Never think that your salvation story is just about you and you're alone in isolation and you can kind of do whatever you want because you and God got this deal worked out. No, you are part of something so much broader, so much bigger, and we've got to have respect for all of the branches. And we realize that it's because of the root that we are able to survive and we don't just wither away and die. And that root is the promise of God that we are grafted in and now share in the promise of God because of our faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, because he went first, he chose us to be grafted in like this. So we've looked at the dependencies of the natural branches. They were cultivated by that promise back to the Abrahamic covenant, into the olive tree. We talked about the wild olive shoots being grafted in, this very bizarre process uh, that's, that, that takes a lot of pain to make it work. And that's our, most of our story in this room. And here's one more for you. Before Jesus returns, so when he, before he comes back, natural olive branches, so the Jewish people, will be grafted back in by God into his root of promise, by faith. Chapter 11, verses 23, 26 go like this. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. So he's now talking about Jewish people again. 
for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. I'm going to pause there. It goes and it talks about this other group of Jewish people, which is actually the same group, but it's talking about them in a very unique way. It's talking about Jewish people um, called the remnant. And it says that in verse 5, which we skipped over, the remnant chosen by grace. That this group is going to come back in and accept Jesus Christ as Lord before Jesus returns. Right around that time. Now I want to put that in context for where we live and the mission that we're on. We're going to be doing a church update, by the way, at the end of service today. And um, we're going to be going back to our mission. Look, I'm a Gentile Christian called by God to relocate back to West Bloomfield, my hometown, several years ago to plant a church with all of you. Why? Well, God is a mysterious God. He does things. We were, we were really happy in Austin, Texas, where we were at. We would have stayed there forever. But God laid on my heart a very specific mission, and that was to come here to this community, this very difficult soil to plant a church because, guys, it can't fail. We are among people, and we don't know when the timing of this fullness of the Gentiles will come in. That's when the timing will be, when all the Gentiles are, are, are in, those who are going to be saved by grace and faith, um, then there will be a remnant chosen by grace who will turn to Jesus Christ. We can't fail, and here's why. We have a message to deliver to Jewish people and to Gentile people that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there will be a remnant who will turn to Jesus Christ one at a time. One by one, they will all believe in him at some point. Don't you want to be on the front lines of a mission? <laughs> so great. I'm going to invite a friend up here in just a minute, not quite yet, Rabbi Lauren Jacobs, who's the uh, rabbi pastor of Shema, Congregation Shema Israel, a person that I am grateful is here today because he is going to speak as a Jewish Christian about this text that we're reading right now. Look, wouldn't you want to be on the front lines of a mission that is so centered on the end times of when God will bring in his remnant, the natural branches to be cultivated back in to that natural olive tree? I can't think of a better mission than that. It's what wakes me up in the morning. It's what propelled us to schlep our whole family from Austin, Texas here. It's a wonderful mission. I want you to understand what's going to happen. There's a book, there's several prophecies in the Old Testament. I'm going to read one of them to you about what this will look like. It's from the prophet Zechariah. And this is written about 500 years before Jesus, but it's looking ahead. It's looking like way ahead, way past today. 
It's looking ahead to a time that will come. It feels to me like it's getting sooner and sooner when the fullness of Gentiles comes in and there will be a remnant chosen by grace and you will see what happens. Here's, here goes Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. I don't think it's on the screen. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitant of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. So it's talking about the house of David. These are Jewish people, okay? It's gonna, the spirit is going to come on them. So that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. And weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day, the morning in Jerusalem will be as great as the morning of Hadad Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. The land shall mourn, each family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the of the Shiamites by itself and their wives by themselves, the families that are left each by itself and their wives by themselves, on that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. That day is coming where the natural olive branches will be grafted back in based on their faith. Guys, there will be a national repentance of the Israelites, one by one, their own faith, turning to Jesus Christ as Lord to come back in to the olive tree. I've said enough. I'm a Gentile Christian up here. This is a very um, Jewish Christian chapter, and I want a partner to come up here. Rabbi Lauren Jacobs, can you guys please give him a hand? I am very grateful to have Rabbi Lauren with me. He is the lead rabbi at Congregation Shema Israel, and they meet out of Bloomfield Hills Baptist Church on Saturdays at 10.30, have a seat. And here's your microphone. Let me turn that on for you. There you go. Um, I've been to his, uh, to his congregation before. I want to go more. I recommend that you go there. Um, Rabbi Lauren, I think, loves to see Jewish Christians there, but they have a good handful of Gentile Christians there as well. And he would love to see your face, I'm sure. Rabbi Lauren, thank you for coming here with us. Today. Pastor Joe, thank you so much for inviting me. Really uh, pleased, so pleased to be here at Oak Point, uh, my first time, and so pleased to be participating in our consideration of Romans 11, which is probably my favorite chapter of the entire Word of God. <laughs> well, there we go, there we go. I appreciate you saying yes to my invite on short notice also. Maybe before I get into a couple of questions, I probably got three for you. Before that, would you mind giving a little bit of your faith background, um, how you came to faith in Messiah? I am very typical of what God is doing today among a small minority of Jewish people. Uh, I am Jewish by birth, uh, grew up in the Chicago area, and I was the, uh, I'm the eldest of three. We grew up uh, in Reform Judaism, which is the more liberal wing of Judaism. And um, I, 
I went to synagogue, I became a bar mitzvah, learned Hebrew, Jewish culture, history, but I didn't have God in my life. Uh, Judaism can be beautiful, beautiful buildings, beautiful customs, prayers, singing, but uh, especially in Reformed Judaism, there's very little sense of the reality of God, that he really is a God who is active and real, very little faith in the Bible mm -hmm. that it's his divinely inspired word. So I was very unsatisfied. I, was, I, I knew that I was missing something really important. And it turned out to be a, a relationship with the living God, which I, I did not have. So like uh, most Jewish people, we're going through external forms of religion, you know, ritual, ceremonies, holidays, prayers, this prayer at that time, right? A lot like Roman Catholicism. Right. And I was searching as a teenager, uh, looking for meaning, for truth, for purpose. Uh, the Lord got a hold of me my freshman year of college. I was a young philosophy major uh, because, again, I was on that quest for, for wisdom and truth. And through a series of circumstances, I started reading the Bible for the first time on my own. Uh, I began with uh, the New Testament, and over a week period, I read the entire New Testament. <laughs> That's pretty bold. <laughs> Matthew all the way through Revelation. Wow. And I was so attracted to this young rabbi, um, Jesus, and his teachings, and his miracles, and his rejection by the Jewish leaders, and his death, but also his resurrection. Mm, amen. Resurrection. Mm -hmm. uh, the claim was that he's alive now. He's, he's real. He overcame death. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. I understood those claims, and I prayed really for the first time in my life, my own prayers. You go to synagogue, and the prayers are written in a prayer book, right? You, my, my first prayers, God, if this is real, show me. Jesus, if you're real, if you're alive, mm -hmm. like this book says you are, let me know somehow, and I'll follow you. It's all, those are my first simple little prayers. Wow. But they were from my heart. As I kept reading the New Testament and discovering some of the prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah, like Isaiah 53, mm -hmm. this amazing prophecy, I knew that I had finally found what I had been searching for mm -hmm. my teenage years. I became totally convinced that Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be, the Son of God, the Messiah, risen from the dead, alive now, mankind's one and only Savior, the giver of eternal life. Amen. And I committed my life 100% to him. I was uh, 19 years old. Joined a church, was baptized. About a year later, I met a group called Jews for Jesus. Yeah. That was just starting <laughs> in the 1970s. And I discovered, I thought I was the only Jewish person who um, believed in Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but I discovered that, um, no, there were others that God was revealing um, to them that Jesus, Yeshua, is the Messiah. And they had a passion 
to tell other Jewish people about the Lord and salvation. Wound up getting involved with Jews for Jesus, big on evangelism. I wound up going to Moody Bible Institute. They have a Jewish studies major, this very good Christian school, Moody Bible Institute, training young men and women to go into Jewish ministry. Met my wife Martha there, another uh, Jewish Christian. Uh, we've been married for, I don't know, 46, 47 years now. <laughs> two children, two grandchildren. And the Lord has uh, you know, directed us into full-time ministry, uh, first with Jews for Jesus, and then we also felt called here uh, very strongly to begin a work among the Jewish people in Metro Detroit, which number around 70,000 people. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I'm going to cut you off right there because I, I just want to say one thing. So um, you, you would think, so Rabbi Lawrence, sometimes I have like a woe is me, like, dang, it's like really hard here, you know, like ministry is hard. And then I'm reminded of the ministry that Rabbi Lauren has been doing for 40 plus years, <laughs> reaching Jewish people with the good news of Jesus. And it was kind of cool. We had met when I first moved back here, um, five years ago for briefly, and then um, I actually lost touch. And I was traveling, I was flying back from Atlanta, I was doing like a consulting thing, and, and there's this person behind me that starts having this like evangelistic conversation with somebody on the plane, in the seat right behind me. And I'm, I'm literally writing a sermon, and I think I even quoted a, a term that you say often, Rabbi Lauren, which is the most Jewish thing that a Jewish person can do is trust Jesus Christ as Messiah or Meshua. Um, uh, Yeshua as, as Messiah, I was like writing that in my sermon and I hear this guy like evangelizing this like good old boy from down in Alabama or something and, and the spirit prompts me like you have to stop what you're doing and ask about what they're talking about and so like I was like ah no and, and finally like 20 minutes later as we're getting ready to get off the plane I look back I say um, hey are you talking about Jesus. He's like, indeed I am. <laughs> and then uh, we rekindled that I didn't recognize that it was Rabbi Lauren, just uh, evangelizing somebody in a flight. So I can tell you that, and I told the um, good old boy that he was talking with, um, like, hey, you got to respect what this guy is telling you right now. He's like, like a person I want to emulate. So Anyways, I that was definitely a divine faith. appointment <laughs> for was. for you and me to re, to reconnect us. That yeah. was like a, very cool. Yeah, and now we're doing ministry uh, things together. You guys will be hearing more about that, but we're we're doing ministry to um, um, see if God will use us to protect the unborn. Um, there's an abortion clinic on Orchard Lake Road in 15 Mile that uh, uh, Shema Israel and Oak Point West Bloomfield um, has people out there that will go and try to talk with ladies at times. So I look forward to what God's going to do. Okay, I got a few questions for you from this chapter. Um, when it talks about the remnant of grace, uh, when, I, when I think about like your ministry, what are some ambitions that you have had, continue to have, that you've experienced in your ministry as it pertains to how do, how do, you, how do you live out being a Jewish Christian today within the ministry? Okay, so, you know, I identify 100% as a Christian, as an evangelical Christian, but I also identify 100% as a Jewish person. So I'm fully Jewish and fully Christian, and I want to live in such a way that I um, continue this awesome heritage mm -hmm. that God has um, given to me. Uh, we're now 4,000 years after Abraham, mm -hmm. who is the you know, 
founding father of the Jewish people and, in a sense, all believers, the father of the faithful. And so I want to express my Christianity in a very Jewish way, mm -hmm. like Jesus did, <laughs> like the apostles did. There was a Messianic Jewish movement um, for three, four hundred years in the Middle East after um, the Messiah arrived. They just all didn't turn into, you know, like Gentile Christians. There were very you know, Jewish congregations all over the Middle East for some three, four, five hundred years. That's who I am. That's who God made me. My Jewish identity is really important, as it is for many Jewish people. And so that's how I want to live my faith. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, I love that. It's, um, uh, it's a bold move to go from an evangelical ministry that you all had to a, ch to a church or, or um, you know, to actually have um, you be a lead rabbi of a church. And um, it, it's, it's pretty amazing to see that ambition take hold in that, in that context. Now, let me ask you, so um, how does a typical or how do you view as a, as a Jewish Christian Gentile Christians in this chapter, like we're talking about how we're grafted in and some of the, you know, the branches are cut off, which are, you know, Jewish people by heritage are cut off and then Gentile Christians are grafted in. How do you view that? In the Jewish world, there has been a lot of bad feelings towards Christianity and Christians over the centuries. In Romans 11, Paul says that um, Gentile Christians should love the Jewish people, you know, want to make us jealous for their faith in the God of Israel, their understanding of, you know, the Bible of Israel. Um, they're not to be arrogant towards the Jewish people, the natural branches. And yet by the third or fourth century, the church became very anti-Jewish, nasty. If you were a Jewish person um, who became a believer and went to a church, you had to deny your Jewish identity. You had to promise and vow that you would not do anything Jewish. You wouldn't keep kosher. You wouldn't mm. celebrate Jewish yeah. holidays. You know, it was like the church became the exact opposite of what Paul said. And so there is a thing called Christian anti-Semitism. The church has a dark history, mm -hmm. especially the Catholic Church, yeah. of being nasty, terrible, horrific to the Jewish people. That is, that's been embedded in Jewish culture. Mm -hmm. So God had to do a little work in me hmm. so that I would overcome that and really love my fellow Christians from all kinds of, you know, backgrounds. Yeah. Um, so I'm a pastor, a rabbi <laughs> of Shema, and we have about um, a quarter of the community are Jewish believers, about three quarters are, you know, Gentile Christians from all kinds of backgrounds. So uh, I've come to love um, my fellow Christians, no matter what ethnic background, racial background they're, they're from, and I love to see uh, the wild olive branches getting grafted in Amen. and even becoming part of a, a you know, a, a little community like mine. So I've got one more question for you and then anything else that you want to share with us after, after this one. So if it was ideal, 
how, sh how should, do you think, Gentile Christians uh, really view their relationship with Jewish Christians? What are some things we can do? <sighs> okay, so most Gentile Christians are hardly aware that there is such a thing <laughs> as a Jewish Christian. So uh, just becoming, you know, thank you so much for inviting me this morning. And, you know, what you said about Romans 11 and introducing it, that, that was great. And more churches, more pastors need to think that way because it's the truth. You know, God started off with the Jewish people. It was his plan to use the Jewish people to reach all the nations, to be a light to the nations. And, you know, Messiah said uh, there's going to be one flock with one shepherd made up of the Jewish people and the other people. Hmm. So... Jewish believers in Jesus have been sort of out of the picture for hundreds and hundreds of years, but God is working again in our day, especially, especially in the past hundred years or so. There are more and more Jewish believers in Jesus, like myself, Messianic Jews, Christian Jews, here in the U.S., a little bit in Europe, but especially we're growing in Israel right now. Hmm. That's, where, <laughs> that's where God's Spirit is bringing most Jewish people to faith in Israel. When Israel became a nation in 1948, a state once again, there were probably less than 100 Jewish believers in Jesus. Wow. Less than 100. Uh, now we're up to maybe 5,000, 6,000, 8,000. Mm. Maybe a similar number here in the U.S. So the idea of the faithful remnant, mm -hmm. which Paul really highlights in Romans 11, not all Israel are Israel. It's only that faithful remnant, the minority in every generation mm -hmm. that really knew the Lord. Yeah. So be encouraged. God is faithful to his promises, his covenants. He's, you know, maintained the Jewish people over 4,000 years in spite of all kinds of terrible situations and calamities and holocausts and pogroms, anti-Semitism, which is on the rise again around yeah. the world. Uh, you know, we're surrounded by enemy nations that want to destroy Israel once again. God is at work. He is fulfilling his promises. And the church needs to understand that, stand with Israel and the Jewish people, pray for us, love us, yeah. bring the gospel to us about our Jewish Jesus. Yes. Right? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rabbi Lauren. Give him a hand, you guys. <laughs> Thank you. What a gift having you here. Thank you so much. And I look forward to years and years of partnership still together. I have so much to learn from you. I want to invite the band to come back up. And, you know, the, the end of this chapter finishes up with, with Paul really emphasizing the past 11 chapters. I want you to remember the past 11 chapters have been very rich on theology. A whole lot about the judgment to come for, for sin, but then the, the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. A whole bunch about, like, God's sovereignty and then our free choice. And, like, these things are just, like, make your mind sometimes boggle. And I, and I shared with you a couple weeks ago that some of these things, I, I have to personally just leave it at a mystery. Well, here it summarizes these past 11 chapters like this. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 says this. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how 
unfathomable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. He uses a word there in my uh, version of the Bible. It doesn't say unfathomable, but I grab that word because I think it's the better translation. It goes like this. His ways are unfathomable. What's a fathom? Back in ancient boating, a fathom was the length of a rope that would be used to see how deep the water was. And an average man's arm span was five and a half feet. So a fathom is five and a half feet, really, of rope. So imagine you have a hundred fathoms of lead rope in a boat, and you're wanting to go down and see, and it has like a marking every fathom. You go down and you bring it up, and it shows it's hit the 10th marking. You could say it's 10 fathoms deep, the water, 55 feet deep. But sometimes when you put that lead rope down, you're in a sea, and that hundred fathom lead rope, it's not touching the bottom. So they pull it up and they'd say, how deep is it? Well, it's unfathomable. You can't measure it. It's a mystery. We don't know. That's God's ways. God's ways are so much greater than what we can even know. God's ways are unfathomable. So look, you might be wrestling with God right now. You might be trying to figure out in your mind, like, how could all of this be? I want to figure it out first before I believe. And there's something to be said for counting the cost. Deciding to accept Jesus Christ as Lord isn't something you want to do just on a whim. There's a cost. But look, you're never going to figure it fully out. It comes down to faith. And maybe there's somebody in this room today that has never accepted the gift of God's grace. Through Jesus Christ, where he, God in human form, came to this earth, lived the perfect life died on the cross offering forgiveness for sins, rose back to life on the third day. He is returning to judge the living and the dead. Which one are you? In a moment, I'll give an opportunity for you to accept Jesus, to turn to him if that's what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do. For the rest of us, my application question for you is how will you encourage all of the branches? As Rabbi Lauren was speaking about, it takes humility to get ourselves out of the way to understand that there is a wide mix of people who come to faith in Christ. There's a wide mix of people who aren't part of the root yet. Maybe God has, has you here to reach out to them. How will you encourage all of the branches? Would you stand up and close your eyes for prayer? Is there somebody here today that when we talk about the idea of the true root, the Abrahamic promise, the covenant that was made, and you're thinking about how God ratified that covenant with blood, foreshadowing the blood of Jesus Christ. And maybe you haven't ever had an expanded view like that to understand how you are linked to that covenant. And today, maybe you just want to let God know, God, I, I thank you for that promise that has come to me in whatever way, whether it's through grafting in or whether it's through being the natural uh, branch. If that's you and you just want to thank God for being attached to that promise, raise your hand. I see you guys. I see you. Amen. We talk about the remnants. Look around in West Bloomfield. Three out of every ten people around this middle school are Jewish. It's very likely, it's very possible that they could be part of the remnant. Maybe they haven't come to faith yet. Maybe you're here to love them, to know them, 
to encourage them, to share the hope of Christ to them, to partner with uh, healthy congregations like Shema Israel to see how we can support them to reach this community. Maybe the idea of the remnant is very present for you and you realize now why you are here on this mission in West Bloomfield. If that's you, raise your hand. Yeah, me too. Came back to me this week. Amen. God sees you. He wants to bless us in this mission. Finally, is there somebody here today when you're thinking about Jesus returning, are you of the living or the dead? Are you part of that branch or are you cut off right now? Look, this is a work of God in you. This is not from a person and you can't just suppose it to happen. This is, if, if the Holy Spirit is in you right now and, and, and showing you that you need to turn to Jesus Christ as Lord for the very first time, if that's you, would you raise your hand? I see you, sister. So if, if that's happened for you, for the, for the sister in Christ that just raised her hand, look, this is between you and God. I'm just going to be your prayer partner up here. And, and you've got to make these words your, your own. This is a work of God, and I'm just here as a preacher to help to, to lead you. And you can come to the Lord something like this. Lord God, I am a sinner. God, I have lived a life apart from you. I didn't always know, but now I do that because of my sin, I am guilty before you. But I also have trusted now in Jesus as my Lord. Jesus, you died on the cross and forgave me of my sins. You became the curse so I didn't have to be cursed. I accept your sacrifice for me. I thank you for doing that for me. I know that I am forgiven from you. Save my soul. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.